building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. Just before we get into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our weekly devotional group. Just text the two words, Promise Keepers, to 31996. Every week you'll receive a challenging devotional that will inspire you to put your faith into action in the real world. Again, text Promise Keepers to 31996. And now, here's today's show. So Billy Hollowell from New York. Uh, we like to do these in person, but... Uh, we haven't been able to get together, so we finally broke down and decided we would do this one over Zoom. You're like you're like one of the first ever Zoom podcasts we've done. So look at you're that. that important. Look at that. I, I didn't know that, no. but that that's exciting. That's a that's an accomplishment here. Yeah, I know. As soon as New York opens up again, we got to get together and have some uh, New York pizza. I know. As soon as you don't have to quarantine for breathing, yeah. As soon as you don't have to test out of everything, it'll be nice. It's coming. It's coming soon. I hope. I think so. I think so. But man, you wrote a book that is the kind of thing that you know it, it's about ghosts and demons and who Satan is. That it's a fascinating topic. It's also a topic that so many people are terribly deceived by. You know, you have sort of the Catholic Church idea of the devil, where he's um, you know, he's going to possess you and you're going to spin your head around in circles or whatever. You know, you've got the charismatic idea of the devil where he's sort of everywhere all the time and influencing everything. You've got the sort of Baptist Protestant idea where you just ignore him and he doesn't really exist. Somewhere in there is the truth about who the devil is. What are ghosts? What is possession? Can believers be possessed? So you're, you know, you've kind of written the book right now. You're kind of the expert right now on that subject. And so, I just wanted to walk down that road, unwind some of the wrong ideas people have about who the devil is, what demon possession is, um, and then and just maybe bring out some facts that maybe people didn't know. Because the Bible warns us about the devil all the time. And uh, and for many of us, like in the conservative evangelical church I come from, we just don't really ever talk about him, despite how much the Bible talks about him. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because the the thing for me walking away from this and I'm a journalist by trade. I'm a lifelong Christian, but I'm I'm a journalist. So I like facts, I like figures. I like to be able to get past all the hype and say, "Okay, what does the Bible say? If I'm a Christian, I believe the Bible. What does the Bible say about this?" And once I understand that, then look at everything through that lens instead of the lens of what Hollywood is showing us through movies or what people are saying about all of this. And that includes denominations. You know, it's great that denominations who talk about this talk about it, but are they talking about it the right way? And so going into this project, it was really interesting to sort of discover and see that I don't I don't think there's a topic and I could be wrong about this talked about so much in scripture and addressed so little by some churches. Now, there are the churches that see a demon under every rock. So you do have that dynamic. But we did a survey through HarperCollins, and the book came through Thomas Nelson. It's Playing With Fire is the book. And when we did the survey, we asked church leaders. So this wasn't just pastors. It was people leading Bible studies, all sorts of different people in the church, a bunch of questions about this. Do you believe in demons? Do you believe that they're real? Do they impact people? Can they impact culture? The vast majority of all those leaders said yes. But then when you ask the question, is your church or your pastor talking about this enough? 
the majority said no. And it was really interesting to see that show up in the numbers. And that was always sort of the sense that I had, which is why I wrote Playing With Fire. I felt like, okay, I don't want to write this book because I don't want to dive into this topic. It was uncomfortable to me. And let me just clarify that I believe in all this. I'm a lifelong Christian again. But I think all of us or a lot of us, we avoid talking about it because it's a weird subject. It's a little creepy. It freaks us out. We don't realize that we have authority over it as Christians and we don't need to be afraid of it. And so I sat on my book contract for two months fearful of actually writing it because I really? didn't. I, God like dropped this story on my lap and I did not want to do it. I, I really felt strongly like, you know, then I'm like, well, I got to turn to prayer. I got to turn it over to God. And it became evident that it was something I should do. And, I, and I'm glad I did because we don't talk about it enough. So, I mean, let's jump right into the subject. What are ghosts? <laughs> One of the things that was, and it's so funny. I laugh every time because people love to ask that question. And, and in the subtitle of the book, ghosts, it's the last thing that's mentioned. And when I wrote the first draft of the book, I devoted very little attention to ghosts and intentionally and my publisher, which they probably wouldn't even want me to say this, but whatever, they came back and like, you know, you need to talk more about this. And I'm like, well, I don't want to talk about this much more than what I said, which was about 1,200 words on the debate that exists. There are some Christians that believe that people die and remain behind. Most most church leaders don't believe that, which is not that shocking to me. They believe that you're generally always dealing with evil. You're dealing with demons. You're dealing with spirits. You're not dealing with deceased people. When people think there's a ghost, that's what they're dealing with. And so that was the general consensus. And what I do in Playing With Fire is I go in, I look at scripture, and I talk to a lot of people in the mental health realm, a lot of pastors. And so when you ask the question, what are ghosts? The majority of people I spoke with working in this field, and that's a strange word to use for deliverance and exorcism, but working in spiritual warfare issues will tell you that they believe that these are mostly demonic, that you're not connecting with a dead loved one, that you're not actually interacting with a deceased person. And so I ended up going back to the drawing board and I wrote a lot more on it because what I found interesting, again, I went back to, well, what does the Bible tell us, right? And there are some really interesting examples in scripture where it seems like it might be a person dying and coming back, but the context is always tied to something that major is happening, right? So you have uh, the story of Saul conjuring Samuel, right? Mm -hmm. And you have that story. And it seems like God is allowing this return from the dead. But when you look at the context of it, we don't really know what's going on there. Is it a vision? Is it actually him coming back? So you have that and you have this crazy story and I use the word story, these are real life events that we believe, but you have this, this element of scripture where it's almost this zombie-like moment that I just, it's funny, you read the Bible so many times and you read past things and then you return to it and you're like, wait, what? I'm sure this happens <laughs> right, to you. It's like, right. I never totally. noticed this. And so you have this moment after Jesus's death where you essentially have people coming out of their graves to go in <laughs> to Jerusalem and talk to people. And so it's like, wait, these people... But those aren't, it's not described as though they're ghosts, right? So you have these moments in scripture, but we really don't have a lot of examples without an accentuating circumstance of God acting, or really any examples of people dying and returning to haunt. That just isn't something we see in scripture. And so there are Christians who will disagree with me on that, but my lens is that I'm going to go with what I see in scripture. And what I see in scripture is that we're at a battle over good and evil. 
We know that this is happening. You look at Ephesians 6, and it describes very pertinently what is going on in our world and how we can defeat that. And we could talk about about that. I talk a lot in the book about that. Um, so yeah, that's a long-winded explanation to say that I think the ghost thing, a lot of times it's the world's way of simplifying spiritually what actually might be happening. So to expand a little bit, so in first or second Samuel, I, I can't remember which one it is, um, Saul, right before he dies, he's in a panic, he's filled with fear. And I tell people all the time, fear comes from when you're living in sin. When you live in sin, you're a person who's filled with fear. I don't mean being scared, that's different. If if a, if a rabid dog is chasing me, I feel scared. Fear is being afraid all the time. I'm going to catch COVID. I, I'm going to get cancer. I'm, you know, irrational fear, right? Comes from sin. Anxiety is not fear. Anxiety comes from not trusting in the Lord. So we have Saul, full of sin, um, who's filled with fear, and he goes to a witch. And witches were supposed to be put to death in the Old Testament. Saul has put most of them to death. But now he's desperate for um, Samuel, the, the prophecies of Samuel. And Samuel has died. Samuel's been punished because of the wickedness of his two sons, and he didn't deal with his two sons who were really doing horrible things, um, you know, in the temple and whatnot. Samuel dies. Um, Saul goes to the witch and she does a seance. And then the witch is horrified because it says Samuel does appear. And she the seems Bible shocked. says, she, she seems, seems like, like right. whoa, this actually happened. And it, the Bible says it's Samuel. Now, I've read a lot of commentaries on that and they say, well, it was a demon. It was this. Well, the Bible doesn't say it was a demon. It says it was Samuel. So I'm going to take does. God's word at what it says. It was Samuel. And Samuel is pissed. He's pissed that he got woken up. So Samuel appears to be asleep. So you have a, a believer in, in Samuel, a prophet, who died in bad circumstances, who it appears is sleeping and doesn't want to be woke up. That, that's what we, we have. That, so let's just take the Bible, what it says. People, if, you, if you're feeling right now kind of angry or whatever, we're just telling you what the Bible says. So if you're angry, then you need to check your own self. Um, we're not trying to in, in bring in a bunch of stuff that aligns with your denomination or what your pastor said. The Bible says... She conjures up Samuel, and Samuel appeared. And Samuel says, why'd you wake me up? So that, that's what the Bible says. And so, can I add something to that? Because I yeah, think please. with what you're saying, I think it's really interesting when you have her, she's surprised by it. So it makes you wonder, is this something she's been able to do before? Is this something that God in that moment is, again, you go back to that, these extenuating circumstances where God acts or where you have Jesus's death and you have this event following, right? These big mm -hmm. moments that are not, they don't appear to be the norm. They don't appear to be something. And so in the book, I talk about different options. The assessment you just gave is what I personally believe. You know, some will say, well, is it a vision that God is conjuring up of him? It does seem like he is being conjured up, but I would again, go back to her surprise over it. The other elements around it that make it really interesting. Right. And he also delivers information to Saul about Saul, that Saul is not going to be around for much longer. Right. <laughs> Guess what? And You're so, going to die now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, it, and it comes true and he does die. And so it's, again, it's it's one of those moments, but this is not a normative thing that you see throughout scripture every moment right. that people are coming right. back from the dead. It's just not. And so is it possible there's something we don't understand that isn't included in scripture on ghosts? Possibly, but I'm going to go with what makes the most sense, which is that if there were mass hauntings going on, I would assume we would see that represented somewhere. You have Jesus walking on the water. You have you know the, the disciples saying, is it a spirit? 
And in some translations use the word ghost, right? Well, again, that doesn't prove that ghosts were, that people were dying and coming back. It proves that just like today, people believed back then that ghosts could exist maybe, right? If you wanted to take it that way. So you you have these weird examples and they're not, they, they don't form the baseline of what most paranormal shows I think would want us to believe on this, right. on this topic. Now, on the second part of that with Christ, when he dies, it says that many graves were opened up and people came to life again. And that, that actually uh, is the fulfillment of prophecy. This is mothers will welcome back their dead. And so again, that was a one-time thing. These were not ghosts. These were the actual bodies of the actual people who were raised from the dead when Jesus breathed his last. And this was obviously the most important moment in history. So we don't, we don't say, oh, yeah, that's what happens all the time. That was a very original event. But, but I and think it's foreshadowing. And a foreshadowing of what was to uh, come, yes. you know, in just a couple of days. So, yeah, it's I, I think these moments. But again, I don't think I had ever heard anybody preach on on those moments, really. Th- these were things that I've, I had read and you just move on from. And right, right. <laughs> that it's almost like, why did I move on from that and not stop to think about That's it? It's kind right, of a before? big deal. Right. Right. It's bizarre, but yeah. also amazing at the same time. So. <laughs> and I think it's important that people understand it's OK to not understand. And. Avoid pastors who have an answer for everything, especially when that answer just doesn't align with common sense. I mean, there are pastors, I could name names, Bill, you know exactly who I mean, who they, they, they're very prideful and they say, well, I preach what the Bible says. And then they go ahead and make up a bunch of stuff that's not in the Bible. Like yep. it wasn't really Samuel. Well, the Bible says it was Samuel. So you just change the Bible, you know? So let's take the Bible for what it says, even if it doesn't align with what we think we know or what our pastor said, our, the, the Bible it, it trumps everything else. Excuse the pun. Well, and and I don't think we have to look at these moments again as though they're the the blueprint for every single thing that's ever going to happen on these topics. When you see God acting in a way that seems outside of the norm of how things go, there's a reason for it. And I think we can these examples were breaking apart the reasons that you could see. Okay, there's something else going on here. And there was a lot happening with Saul, obviously, in those moments. He had also went and violated exactly what he knew. The the underpinning here that I find fascinating is that consistently throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we are told to avoid psychics and mediums and people who commune with the dead. And all, we're not told these things don't exist. We're told to avoid them. And I, and I think that's really fascinating. And you flash forward into Acts. And one of the things, because I've had a lot of people asking me about psychics, right? And okay, listen, there are a lot lot of liars out there. There's people who make things up all the time, but there are people who do seem to have this ability, right? And But we see this in scripture, right? We're talking about this story. Let's look in Acts when Paul is being followed around by a slave girl who's driving him crazy. And this is a girl who we see in scripture, we're told that her owners are actually using her to make money. They're using her to tell fortunes, right? So she's following Paul around. She's driving Paul crazy. And he finally turns around and he commands the demons out of her. And what is fascinating, this is another moment that you read through it and you just move on for some reason. But when you see this, it says that she lost her ability to, to, to see the future. And so the question of how do people end up with these abilities is a fascinating question. In that particular story, it seems like this is not a gift that was given to her by God. It's a gift, in fact, that 
through Jesus was expelled from her. I wouldn't even use the word gift. And so anyway, that's a little bit of a tangent, but there's so many of these interesting moments in scripture with the key takeaway, don't mess with this stuff. You're not supposed to. So let's follow that tangent up a little bit. Uh, I want to, we'll get back to the demon ghost thing here in a minute, but on the psychic thing, I, I know a woman of God, I, I can tell you she loves the Lord who does know things. She, she definitely can, can tell you certain things in the future. She's not, you know, a medium. She doesn't charge money for it, but she just sometimes knows things. Her whole life, she was told that it was demons that she had and it really damaged her and it wasn't demons. It's a gift that God has given her. And so have you seen instances in your research of people who truly are good Christians who, who, who do know the future, at least in some circumstances? It seems to me that it's about your intention and how you're going to use these things, right? It's about what you're going to do with it. If God's giving you because there's there's this fine line between prophesying, right? And and I think people don't really I've had a lot of non-Christians ask us, well, what's the difference between somebody who's a prophet and somebody who, you know, is out there giving psychic readings? Well, there's a there's a big difference in intentionality. People who are going out there to use this whether we want to call it a gift, whatever we want to call it, to try to make money, read people's futures, put faith in that person and their ability and not in God. And then there are people who have these abilities, it seems, and they're aligned with the Lord in some way. And they're, and they, like you're saying, this person loves the Lord. So I've encountered different people, and there's debate on this, right? Who, who have different giftings, but I think we have to be really careful. If we're, we can't go around saying, oh, that's from, yeah, that's from Satan. You've got demons, right? This is a person who's professing to be a Christian. What I've often found is that you don't often find a person who's out there actively performing as a psychic, trying to make money and using this gift, this gift to bring people in and make them want to know more about that person and what that person has to offer, not about God, who would profess to be believing Christians, right? There seems to be a disconnect there. So it's about intentionality, I think. it's um, there, There's a lot of layers there, but I think we have to be careful with it. And and I will tell you, I have seen, and I don't, I don't talk about this in the book, I've been in circumstances where there was a person who was close to my family and was not called to do a reading or anything. They happened to be at the house, and we knew this person had these abilities. And she started doing and I was young when this happened. She started telling us things that you couldn't have possibly known, right? Uh about certain people and she had names and she had information. And so when skeptics will come and say, well there's you know, this is all made up. Well no, it's not all made up. I've actually seen this happen. Now, I would say in that case though, I didn't I think that there was an intentionality problem and so you have to be very careful with these things. Yeah, and I've always tried to help Christians if if you want a simple formula, um people who are from Christ Everything they say results in humility and the glorification of Christ. People who are from Satan, everything they say is about ego and the glorification of self, which is really the glorification of the devil. So if you're in this circumstance and you're trying to, gosh, I want to exercise discernment, who is being exalted by that person? And uh, sometimes they can pretend to be exalting God when they're really not. It's um, you're going to do great things for God. You are going to be amazing for God. And it sounds like it's about God, but it's really about you. And that's all about ego. And it's not the Holy Spirit doesn't glorify man. He glorifies Christ. Exactly. And those giftings should then do the same thing, right? So so when you're trying to figure that out, it becomes very clear. And one of the really sad things about this, and I think we actually see saw it with Saul. You know, we're talking about that that story is that people are truly desperate 
And so many people are. We've all lost someone. We know what that's like, especially connecting with a dead loved one. That's why we've seen during wartime, things like the Ouija board will will have a resurgence because people are so desperate to connect with dead loved ones. And right. there's something it, it pray the evil preys upon that, right? Because it's, you know, oh, I, I've got to, I've got to find this person. I've got to talk to them. And so you, you take, you go into all these different means that you're not supposed to, and you start to put your faith in that. And when your faith is in that, it's definitely not in Christ. And so there, there are a lot of different elements to this, but I would be wary of anybody telling you, you know, I'm communicating with your dead mom, your dead uncle, you know, when you're starting to get into that stuff, we're told to not engage in that. And so that would be to me from what, and everybody I've talked to in their work that that actually opens a lot of doors for people that are unfortunate. So Billy, you brought up Ouija boards and what's your impression of those things? Are they just harmless little fun, like playing a game of monopoly or is there, is there something there? You know, so I took the approach to, I have a very big chapter on the Ouija board and a lot of people will mock Christians who have issues with the Ouija board. You've seen this. You know, oh, it's just a parlor game. It's just a game. It's sold by a toy company. There's nothing to this. What is fascinating to me about the Ouija board is the history of it. And again, this is something the journalist in me, okay, where did this come from? Nobody ever talks about this. Like, where did this board originate? Did it just come from some toy factory or was there some deeper history? And when you dig into it, there is a much deeper history to it. In the 19th century, you had Helen Peters, who was a psychic, um, helping to develop this. And it was a tool that was used all over the place. It, it expanded and exploded. You can go back to the late 1800s, the early 1900s, and there were newspaper articles about this. It was called a talking board. That was the initial name. Okay. So mm. it was these talking boards became, you know, they did become sort of like parlor games, but it was because people wanted to use them to connect with the dead. And so this was something that grew and grew and grew. And you can actually, and I talk about some of these stories in Playing With Fire, where you see murder cases where people are saying, the board told me to do it. You know, so you, and again, people are going to say, well, that's just crazy people who, and maybe in some cases it is. I think the, the key question is, does every single person who uses a Ouija board walk away with some sort of demonic issue in their life? And the answer to that would be no, but a lot of people will walk away from using the Ouija board and they will have an opening. They will have an issue. There will be something. One of the things that was so bizarre as I was going through the history of the Ouija board, it, it changed hands a little bit in the beginning uh, once it was created. And there was a guy, William Fold, who bought the board. And he not only bought the rights to the board, he built a factory. Now, the way the story goes is that he built the factory based on the board telling him to do so. So he makes this new factory. And his obituary in 1929, which you can find in the New York Times, talks about his death. He fell from the top of the factory and died. And so this is the guy. Now, that doesn't prove anything about the Ouija board, but there's there are all of these little crumbs of the history of the board that are very bizarre and verifiable and, and very fascinating. So I would say the short answer is it's a tool that people are using to try to do the things that we're told not to do in scripture, right? So at its very baseline, it's something that we should be avoiding. Pretty good summary right there. I mean, it's a tool to do the thing that we're told not to do. <laughs> right. So whether or not, not even if 99% of the time it doesn't originate in anything, but I will tell you, I know stories of people and so many people are afraid to tell their story because they don't want to look weird. They don't want to look crazy. Mm -hmm. But I know people who have used the board and who have had things happen after 
that are very clearly tied to their use. I mean, I knew one person who became so obsessed with the board that they would actually go into a room and they would use it and eight or nine hours would go by and it would feel like it was a second to them. I mean, they would lose entire days using this board and to hear the stories they would tell. And they actually had to bring a deliverance minister in. This was sort of the start of a slew of issues for them in their in their life spiritually. So it's something that has been a problem for a lot of people. Okay, so segue to deliverance, demonic possession. Billy, what what is that? I mean, can first of all, what is possession? And secondly, can a believer be possessed? Yeah, it's it's so interesting. As I was writing Playing With Fire, I was going through the terms, and every person you interview, they'll use a different term. So if they work in this space, it's like, well, deliverance, exorcism, possession, uh, there's infestation. So you, I spend a lot of time trying to, to go through those terms and break them apart so people can understand them. Uh, let me start first with the question of can a Christian be possessed? Because that was a core question that I embarked on answering as I was writing the book. And every person who I spoke with, every single person said, no, a, a, a Christian cannot be possessed. Now, another term, oppressed. A Christian could be oppressed. Now, possession, when we talk about full possession, it's what we see. Now, I'm not going to say that Hollywood accurately depicts it, but it's what we see in Hollywood. It's when you see a movie where a person is completely overtaken and they're overtaken in a way where their body is being controlled internally by demons. We see this throughout scripture, especially the New Testament, obviously, with Jesus performing healings on people who have been overtaken. And we actually see demons trying to kill people, right? You've got a little boy um, and you've got a little girl as well. But the case of the little boy, he's being thrown into the fire. It's trying to drown him. He's completely overtaken by this. Possession is very rare. It happens but it's something it's not the it's not the thing you hear you hear most well i guess you hear most about it but it's not the thing that happens the most the thing that would happen the most would be oppression that's where where evil is sort of preying on your life in some way it's present in your life it's there are things now we have to be careful because the whole there's a demon under every rock crowd, mm -hmm. they will say that everything is demonic, right? Like every decision you make, oh, the, the devil made you do it. Well, no, you may have just used your free will, if we believe in free will, which a lot of Christians do, to do something bad, right? You may have just made a bad decision, but there are people who have addictions and struggles and things that also have this element of oppression to it. And it was interesting interacting with some of the mental health providers who are Christians who would tell you that a lot of times, in fact, one of them said to me, I don't think I've seen an addiction where there wasn't a spiritual element to it. And I thought that was really mm. interesting. Now, does that mean that the spiritual issue created the addiction? Not, not always, according to some of these people, but it, but it may mean that once that thing is happening, it attracts, like, evil's going to feed off of that stuff and try to manifest it further in people's lives. And so it's not just addiction, though. It's all sorts of different struggles, pornography. I mean, there's so many issues out there that uh, many of these experts will tell you have this element of uh, the spiritual element to it. So you have oppression. A non-Christian non or a Christian could face that. Possession, though, would be something reserved in the minds of many of the experts I spoke with as really being something for non-Christians. Now, if you believe that you can lose salvation, and this is an interesting theological debate, there were some theologians who were saying, well, if you believe that, then you'd have to be open to the notion that somebody who was a Christian could drown out the light so much that eventually they create the opening for that sort of thing to happen to them. So that's a broader theological debate. 
but but exorcism and deliverance because that was the first the first question you asked exorcism is really again we see it in movies it's depicted heads are spinning you know there's the pea soup and the exorcist and all of that um and and so most of the time it's not that extreme but you see cases in the bible again that are extreme right you've got you have those examples that really are and so it seems like there are varying degrees of possession there's also de- so there's exorcism and deliverance exorcism is the catholic right and it's also a Pro- protestant suit too but the catholic right of exorcism it's specifically done mostly in latin um, in 2014 they created an english version it's done with crucifixes and holy water there are sort of props and things that are used as part of that process. Uh, Deliverance tends to be something, and again, there are lots of schools of thought on this in the Protestant world, that could be done on Christians or non-Christians. And a deliverance would be done to remove that evil from around somebody's life, from within them, whatever they're they're dealing with. Generally, for a Christian, it would be something outside of you. And so that's a lot of information. But deliverance and exorcism are sort of interchangeable. It just – they're done differently. I had pastors telling me, look, I walk into a room. There's not five exorcisms. There's not five moments. I walk into a room. I sit down. I tell it to get out. You're not welcome here. And I'm done. And I'm good. And it never returns to that person again. And then you have these examples where people will tell you, well, it took me a number of times. It you know, I, it was it was difficult. I used, I had to use a cross or I chose to. It seemed to react to that. And so I can't get into the, I can only tell you what scripture shows. Scripture shows Jesus healing people. Now he was Jesus without, without a lot of tools and props and things like that. But Jesus does tell us that with the little boy, in fact, it required prayer, that those demons actually required prayer. And so it does seem like there's a variant in terms of the effort that is needed to heal people, which I think is kind of interesting, but we don't, we don't have all the answers to this. I would I would actually also point out that all the people who are who are possessed in the New Testament, right? And they're being healed, we don't know how any of them became possessed. We meet them on their journey, right? So we we're piecing all this together in scripture, but that stuck out to me as I was writing the book that wow, we actually don't know what it was that caused this for these people. And that's a fascinating I'm going to use the word omission, but I feel like it's intentional. I feel like if we were, if we needed to know that in those stories, we would. With the other information we have in Scripture, we have some ideas of what it is that opens us up to those things. Yeah. So when I was young, you know, we were always told if we listen to Black Sabbath or Ozzy Osbourne, we're going to get possessed. So uh, if that's the case, then I'm possessed. <laughs> you, need, you may need a deliverance then. Well, that's, and that's the thing too, though. We have to be so careful with this, right? Because I think it's used often as as a weapon too to to make people fearful. And and I won't lie, I I was fearful again to write the book to go into. It. Am I opening my family up to this? And I think really? it's it's well, yeah. I mean, I think it's healthy to ask those questions because I think most of us as Christians don't really know enough about this stuff to really know. You know, writing a book about it. I had people telling me, "Don't write a book about it. Satan wants that attention. He thrives off of it." And I'm thinking. I think Satan hides. I think Satan loves nothing more. Well, then Satan must love the Bible then because it talks a lot about him. Right? <laughs> well, right. I mean, <laughs> he's he is there. And I think a lot of the things that we're sitting around right now in culture and we're like, this is great. And we're praising things and things are happening and we're looking at what is going on. And there's not a lot of conversation about the roots of these things. And I'm very careful about what I assign to different things. But my point is that Satan loves to hide and make us think that things are okay when they're not and convince us to believe lies. I mean, that's what he does. 
And yeah, so I think it's important for us to actually talk about it in a healthy way. So we're talking to Billy Hollowell about ghosts and demons and possession and how afraid of the devil should we be. And right after this break, I want to get to some of the other stuff. More on this, but also uh, reincarnation, UFOs, you know, what have you seen in your research right after this break? Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. Promise Keepers is back, and we're relaunching the stadium events that brought millions of men to Christ. Join us this July at AT AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas, for a men's conference like no other. Strengthen your soul with unforgettable worship led by top Christian artists. Form friendships with brothers in Christ that last a lifetime, and discover new tools and strategies that will empower you to follow Jesus more faithfully. Be sure to get your tickets before they sell out or find a simulcast location near you. Visit www.promisekeepersevent.com for the latest information. We'll see you this summer. Billy, tell me some of the stories that you've come up with. Because you have all these cool stories, people you talk to, experiences that people have. As people are hearing this, they're going to go, I remember, you know, they're going to recall these stories that they've heard, but you heard them as a journalist, as someone who really knows scripture well. And I'd love for you to just kind of get into some of those and tell us what we should think about them. Yeah. So, I mean, there are so many stories and I've had people reaching out to me since I wrote playing with fire with their own stories and even people actively dealing with things that are going on. Uh, One of the stories that stuck with me was one that I I did more of a historical research on, which was The Exorcist, the the story that inspired the book and the movie. I had always sort of, you know, rolled my eyes a little bit at the movie and, and the book. But when you get a chance to to actually dive into the fact that this in the 1940s, this was a story about a little boy who to this day is alive and we don't know where he is. His identity has been kept secret. Really? There, yeah, it's really a fa- it's a fascinating story. His name, his moniker is Robbie. So Robbie uh, started experiencing these issues, um, crazy issues in his house. And the way the story goes, he had an aunt who had apparently had a Ouija board and was having him play around with it. She dies. And then after her death, he starts to experience some of these issues. Now, I won't go into every detail of that story because there's another one I want to share, but but it's fascinating to me that the priests who dealt with this story, okay, they tried to keep it a secret. They actually had a journal, and this journal is really eerie when you read parts of it. They would document everything this boy went through, and they had words appearing on his body. I mean, there were just – 
really unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. It was the Washington Post in 1949 that leaked this story. Somebody leaked it to the Post and they wrote, I mean, imagine a news story today. And it's very rare that this happened. A few years ago, there was one, but about a possession case, a news story in in a newspaper that we all know. And so they end up leaking this story. The author of The Exorcist, he sees the story. It was brought, and that's actually what inspired him to write the book and the movie. So the book, Playing With Fire, dives into all of that. But there was a story I encountered while I was writing it about a woman named Amy. And it really, it was bizarre. I was writing the book and I thought, I wonder if there have been any news stories lately, because it's rare, like I said, but it does happen, where somebody has claimed to have gone through this and it was compelling enough for a real outlet, a local outlet or a national outlet to cover it. And I found this local news story that had happened like three weeks before I was writing this particular chapter. So this had just happened. And it's this woman, she's in a wheelchair and she's telling her story. And what happened to Amy was that she was a nurse. She is married. She has kids. She was a churchgoer. And that was the part of her story that really struck me. She was a churchgoer. And one day she's at the hospital working and this burn victim comes in and they believe that this guy, and it's just an interesting detail in light of the story, had survived a meth explosion, okay, in a meth lab. So he comes in, she's writing his fi- his folder out and his file out, and she suddenly can't concentrate. She's struggling to write. She's struggling to read. And she's not feeling well. She couldn't even finish her shift. She goes home and she was a runner. Okay. So this is somebody who's very fit, very active. She goes out for a run. She can't run in a straight line. So she goes home and she tells her husband, I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. Like something is not right here. And within eight days, this is somebody with no mental health history, somebody who never had any problem. Within eight days, she's not only not working anymore, she's been institutionalized. So eight days from that moment in the hospital, right? So over the course of eight months from when this particular event happened, right, where she feels sick, they're taking her to doctors. She's going to the Mayo Clinic. They're trying to find out, is this mental? Is it physical? She goes through a complete breakdown. And she is not behaving normally, not speaking normally, according to those around her speaking in another voice sometimes. And this whole entire thing culminates in this horrific event. And it really still gives me chills when I talk about it or, you know, I've interacted with her a lot since I told her story in the book. She's, she became consumed with killing herself. So all she can think about is how do I end my life? Again, somebody who's never been suicidal. So she's on the second floor of her home and she's by herself and she's thinking, how can I kill myself? Okay. If I drop myself out of the window, if I jump out of the window or drop myself, it's high enough where I could kill myself. Right. And to put yourself in that mental state of a person who's feeling this way, it's, it's really, eerie. So she's picture this. she's sitting in the windowsill, the windows open behind her and she's facing inside of her house. And she decides in that moment to drop herself out of the window. And the way that she describes it is that a normal person would try to break their fall, right? Like a normal person, even it would just be something you naturally do, even if you jumped, but she didn't jump. She just dropped herself out and she didn't try to break her fall. There's no indication that she did. She broke her, I mean, she broke almost every bone in her body, but she survived. And she ends up in a serious condition. Her church holds this prayer vigil for her. And at the prayer vigil, this woman, Cindy, comes and she doesn't know her. She's never met her, but Cindy feels compelled not only to go to the prayer vigil, but to go and perform a deliverance over this woman. So she goes to the hospital. And Amy talks to her in another voice. All these things 
that we've been hearing Amy go through. And long story short, they perform. she performs this deliverance. She prays over her. And once they cycle Amy off of her medicine, because at this point she's on a lot of medication, she recovers. She never again has a mental health problem, never again experiences any suicidal thought. And because of that fall, is in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. And now, despite her family not really wanting her to speak out, again, because this is hard stuff to talk about, she believes she experienced possession and she is cautiously sharing her story with those around her. So that's just one of the stories in the book. Yeah, so that is in your book. Beyond what's in the book, does she ever talk about what was going on in her mind at the time? Like... Did she have her own thoughts? Were there voices in her head? Like, do you know kind of the the story of beyond the story? Yeah, it's it sounds a lot like in her case. And there are people in the book, by the way, who do who did have voices competing in their head. She was not one of those people. She had thoughts in her head. Right? Didn't sound like they were in another voice. It sounded like it was her. But end your life. End your life. You know that that to be honest with you was the eeriest part of this was the end your life proclamation and demand, it was something that was almost universal in all of these cases, that it was that thought of, of Satan trying to kill and destroy. The, the ultimate thing is end your life, end your life. And so you saw that repeat again and again in these stories. So in her case, it was much more of that sort of thing, but it was her thoughts, right? It was but she had very erratic thoughts as well. The behavior she was exhibiting was all over the map, um, doing things she would never do, disrobing, behaving in front of family members. Like, And of course, everyone's assuming she's completely lost her mind. She's completely crazy. What, what makes her case unique is that most people could say, okay, this was the moment I opened a door to something. I started going to psychics. I started using the Ouija. I started whatever. I was a drug addict for years, and it opened me up to, the, to these things. In her case... She really struggles to find that pinpoint, and it really made it one of the most unique cases. And she was a churchgoer. It doesn't mean that she was a saved Christian, but she was a churchgoer. So, her, yeah, hers was very much more her own voice in her head speaking to her. She must have had Black Sabbath on in the background. That was the problem. Well, you might, did you have a voice in your head, too, when you were listening to Ozzy? <laughs> no, it's actually interesting because uh, I'm, I'm a huge rock and roll fan, and I remember reading – Man, when I was probably high school, I read the book about Jim Morrison of The Doors, who was clearly a demon-possessed guy. He was a freak show of a guy. Um, his father was a famous admiral and one of the main admirals in the Vietnam War. And in that story, Morrison talks about how when they were yet again moving as a military family, they were going through the desert, I think, in New Mexico. And there was a car wreck and there was a, an Apache family. And the Apache Indian was an older Indian who was laying there dying. And Morrison, young Jim Morrison, who was at the time like 13 or 14, says he met, he locked eyes with this guy and he felt that guy's spirit pass into himself. That's, that's his own description of it. And it was after that, that he became a horrible person. His parents couldn't deal with him. And in fact, by the time he was 18, you know, he was on his way to becoming a rock star. His dad was in Vietnam and, and he denied even having parents. He would tell the media that his parents were dead and all this stuff. And his dad would read about this. So there was this moment sort of of just him locking eyes with this guy, this Apache, who must have been possessed. And it sounds like the demon came into this young Jim Morrison. And he became, um, if you read about Morrison, he had this amazing ability to manipulate crowds and get them to do weird things. He's really into that, almost like a, a Hitler-type character, only as a rock and roll star in the 60s. Another br- couple of brushes that I've had, I won't, I- I've told the LAPD stories a few times that I've had, so I'm not going to go into those. But actually on mission trips, 
Um, my wife and I have had some weird stuff and you know, we've been all over Haiti, Philippines, Mexico, lots of third world countries preaching and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. And she actually had a situation where she was on a mission trip. I wasn't there, um, where there was a woman who was freaking out and talking in weird voices and, and throwing the men off her. They couldn't hold her down. And she's actually laying on the ground. And Elle said that this woman actually sat up. She had like four guys trying to hold her down. No. Just try to do a sit up and have your ten year old child hold you down. You can't do a sit up. Just, just try to do a sit, sit up. up. Stop there. Just try to do a sit up. <laughs> That's okay, right. Like... <laughs> she did a sit up with like four grown men trying to hold her down. And so, what was that? And I saw a situation where I was preaching and a woman came running up screaming in a third world country and interrupting when I was trying to give the salvation message and an altar call and, and losing her mind. And same kind of deal where she was throwing guys. She kind of had seemed to have like the supernatural strength where guys were trying to hold her down. She was throwing them all over the place. And so I've seen some weird stuff, but mostly it's been in third world countries. I haven't, and on the LAPD, which, you know, in the ghetto, but a lot of drugs and things. But, you know, most of us in our normal day in America, we don't see this kind of thing, but clearly it exists. And clearly it's not possible for a woman to do a setup with four grown men trying to hold her down. There's some other weird stuff going on. Yeah, well, and and what you're describing the the extra strength, you know, abilities that people will have. That's something that shows up a lot in these stories and in these claims. And mm-hmm. when you start to piece those things together, it becomes fascinating because they line up with what we see happening in Scripture. That doesn't mean that every person claiming they're facing this is facing it. Some people are facing mental illness. They're, you know, we have to be so careful how we vet it. But but when we're talking about the things you just described. Absolutely. I mean, you're you're dealing with something that you cannot explain naturally. And one of the things that that fascinates me about this, I've had people tell me who work in deliverance and who work as exorcists that they will have some mental health facilities secretly call them once a year, once or twice a year and say, we've got a case. We need you to look at it. Please keep this quiet. And you have this whole move of people in the mental health realm even in New York where I am, Richard Gallagher, who just wrote a book, I think it's called Demonic Foes, and I had a chance to have a dinner with him a couple months back and talk with him. He was a skeptic. He grew up Catholic, and he was a skeptic. He became a psychologist, or a psychiatrist, rather, uh, renowned. He teaches at Columbia, I believe. And so this is a guy who's been around the block, uh, and he was called in to deal with this case. Uh, the Catholic Church said, we've got this woman her name was Julia, and she she's a satanic priestess. So this is somebody who worships Satan. She's clearly possessed. She wants to find healing. It was this weird scenario. She like wanted healing, but she wasn't willing to stop doing the things that you need to stop doing in order in order to get healing. Right. So this case actually convinced him that this was all real. So he went from a skeptic in dealing wow. with this woman's case to somebody who now for 25 years has been consulting for the Catholic Church. They will bring him in and he will say, okay, this is mental illness or this is something far beyond mental illness. And so you've got a lot of these people in – even people who are not saying that they believe in the Bible or, or Jesus or Christians in the scientific realm who are starting to realize there's something going on. And I would also add in America right now, we're watching these changes unfold, right? We're seeing the nominal Christianity even, the cultural Christianity – be stripped away, the benefits of being a Christian, that influence that we've had here. Now, I don't know if that's why we don't always see these things manifest in certain areas in America, but what we are seeing is a lot of churches, and the Catholic Church gets brought up the most because they're the only ones that have a system to track it, right? So whether or not there's agreement theologically with with what's going on, 
they're getting requests for help in these areas more than they ever have before. They're seeing this massive increase. And that, again, is fascinating to me at a time that we're moving away from these things, at a time when we're saying, oh, you know, we don't believe in Christianity anymore in this country. It doesn't matter that you're seeing this influx of this happen. So what about, I mean, let's, you don't write about this in the book, but you had to have run up with this against your research. What about UFOs and aliens and I mean, because, and I ask that because so many people who um, want to give you tried answers to everything will say, well, it's just demons. And I always ask them, well, how do you know that? And then they give me the it's obvious answer. Well, it's not obvious to me. Explain it to me. And then I just keep getting it's obvious. So what, what, it, what it really means is they don't actually know. They're just making it up. So have you have you come into any of this? Have you seen any of this? You know, UFOs, aliens, all this kind of stuff. Have you seen any evidence that that's actually demons? Well, that's the thing. You can't really prove it because what you're describing, the short answer is I don't know, right? I think a lot of people Always settle on that. Always a good answer. Always well, because, a good but, answer. But the reason people settle on it is because it's because it's easier to say, well, it's definitely demons, right? Because that's our framework. We know we go back to the Bible again and we try to understand, okay, what's going on in scripture here? Do we see examples of these things? We don't, there are a lot of mysteries that we don't have the answers to, right? And that's just a reality. And we're not going to have the answers to them on this side of things. And there are a lot of people who are claiming to have these experiences where they're abducted or they, I mean, I was just, I was watching Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. When they revived Unsolved Mysteries, there was a UFO episode about it. And I thought it was really fascinating. And you had the people involved talking about the, these claims. And at the end of the day, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It lines up with some of the things that we're talking about with the demonic, right? The the claims of what they're hearing, what they're seeing, what they're experiencing. It lines up with delusions too for some people, right? So there's a whole litany of things that you could say, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. So the short answer is I really don't know. I think when you get into reincarnation and some of these other issues, again, it lines up with a lot of what we're talking about. You when when you're dealing with a scenario where somebody is speaking as though they're somebody else or they live some other existence, you have to wonder, okay, well, that's that does not seem biblical, right? And we don't see, we don't have a lot of examples in the Bible of people becoming somebody else, right? And so are they dealing with some sort of spiritual issue there where they're, where they are actually dealing with a possession or at least influence of some sort of, so yeah, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. And, and here's the deal. I feel like we should be talking about these things. They again, feel weird. Hollywood, though, is talking about them more than a lot of people in the church are. Mm. And when Hollywood is talking about things inaccurately, right, and they're doing it more than we are, that's a problem because we have the accurate, we have the ability to, to discuss these things biblically and with accuracy, and we should be doing that. And the Bible does have some crazy mysteries in them. We've touched on a couple of them. Man, there's a whole lot more of them. That, you know, who are the Nephilim, you know, all this kind of stuff. Who was the uh, Og of Magog who his his casket, I mean, it says his bed, but probably better translated his casket had to be made out of iron and it was 13 feet long and six feet wide. That's a big dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, and here, so I said this the other day to somebody, cause I feel like when we, we start to have these conversations about the natural and the supernatural, right? And when you get into a conversation with an atheist and I just did this on a UK show where it was me versus an atheist talking about this stuff. And I talked about it from a journalistic perspective, from the book perspective and as a Christian, but, but I think a lot of people love to be like, well, that's, you know, that's supernatural. That's not natural. And it's like, well, what is natural? We're sitting here having a conversation with consciousness, 
living on an earth that could either burn or freeze if it was off of its, its axis. We've got we've got entire ecosystems that are working together magically. You've got the human body, which is so complex. I think a lot of the things we talk about as being natural are actually really still supernatural, but we're just so used to them that we mm-hmm. talk about them in this way as though, you know, oh, science, you know, atheists, that they corner the market on science and no, it's it's all bizarre. Existence is bizarre. And as Christians, we find the best explanation and the perfect explanation in scripture. And and for and for us that makes sense because we know it's true, but it should make sense to everybody else because this notion that all of this just came about and that it's weird to believe that demons could exist or that people are having these experiences, well, it's also weird that we exist and that this is all happening. So I don't know. I just, I find that fascinating. Yeah. And and all these other, you know, it's interesting when you read the Bible, people don't seem as shocked by crazy stuff as they should be, which to me tells me it must've been happening a lot more often. I mean, you could take Balaam, you know, he's riding his donkey and she avoids, you know, the, the, the angel that's going to kill him a few times, but he can't see the angel only she can. And then, you know, finally when he gets knocked off, he starts to beat her. And then she just starts to talk to him. Hey, (laughs) You know, what are you doing? And he's like arguing with his donkey. <laughs> like if my dog suddenly started talking to me, I don't think I would just start talking back. I'd be like, this is really weird. You know, there's like all yeah. these other things that kind of lead you believe, you know, when you read the stories of Elijah and Elisha, they're doing amazing things. And people are definitely like, wow, that's, that was weird, but not to the extent that you'd think they would be. And C.S. Lewis kind of has a theory on that which he doesn't put out as fact, he puts out as an idea, which was that supernatural things were much more common until Christ. After Christ, they sort of faded away. And he goes into uh, Merlin and the the King Arthur and all that stuff and how Merlin was one of the last people with supernatural abilities in the, you know, 500 AD or whatever. But even Lewis acknowledges that, man, in the Bible and in history, I mean, read Greek mythology and stuff. I used to have a, a philosophy professor who said, you know, when you read a lot of this stuff from the Greeks, they're writing about it as if it's fact. So, so you have to you have to conclude that either it was really happening or they were all crazy. One of the two, you know. So it, apparently there were a lot more supernatural stuff. And I sort of think it's not that it's not happening here in America. It's that we're just so materialized. We're such yeah. products of the material world um, that we just shut out what we don't understand. And oh, we really should start paying a little bit more attention. We explain it away. We shut it out. We, I mean, there there was a story in twenty, you know, two thousand thirteen, which I talk about in the book too, out in of Gary, Indiana, where a mother claimed to have been possessed, and it and it actually made it made the newspaper. It was in the, in the Indianapolis Star because people couldn't believe that there was documented evidence of this woman's possession claims. You had CPS childcare workers, you had nurses, you had cops who were on the record talking about this, and when you've got People will, and I interviewed one of the, the sheriffs for the book and in the book, and it was really interesting to hear. And you know this, you know, if you're a law enforcement official, you're not going on the record with your name to say something that did not happen, especially if it's something weird. You're not going to go and do that. And so these people have very cautiously shared their story, and there's a lot of that. I think if we open our eyes more to it, we'll understand that. And listen, there's a reason Hollywood sells these movies. The movies sell because people are fascinated by it because we know that since the beginning of time, people have claimed to have had these experiences and we want to understand it better. And so, yeah, it's fun to be scared and to watch a scary movie about it, but to actually talk it through and then to say, if this is real, which we believe it is, and this is all true, then 
what does that mean for culture? What does that mean for our lives? What is the impact of this? Mm-hmm. And so these are these are actually really important questions that right now the church is trying to figure out what's our place in the chaos. And I think a lot of people are waking up in the middle of nowhere right now trying to figure out how this all changed so fast. Well, we have, I think, a real responsibility and a real moment to talk about, not to obsess over these issues, but to talk about them in a healthy way and to start those conversations. Man, you nailed the whole point of this whole conversation. Satan is the father of lies, and his lies are permeating culture right now. People are believing stuff, you know, to the insanity of men putting on dresses and playing on girls' basketball teams and everybody cheering them and saying they're really women. No, they're not. They're men pretending to be women. It's insane. And logical people are actually buying this nonsense. It is our time to be a light in the darkness. It's our time to stand up and remind the world of truth because people are, we shouldn't be angry with them. We shouldn't be arguing with them. We need to be a light proclaiming the truth of God's word, not angry, not reactionary, not politics. And for crying out loud, not charging the Capitol and bashing in windows. We need to be humble, godly people who proclaim God's word. Well, and and what you just described, I think it's so easy to get so panicked about it that we start seeking other options like outside of the church, outside of Jesus, right? We start looking what politics, like what is it going to be that's going to save us? And the reality is that nothing else can save us other than that. And it may get more difficult. It may be more painful uh, to be to be a Christian. Um, it may be, it's not going to be as culturally accepted. I think we're seeing what a lot of the things you just described and so many other things, they're unfolding and they're happening fast. And we knew this was coming. We knew it was going to happen. I don't think we know where it's going to go from here. And we don't know how long it's going to go. It could go thousands of years from here. Who knows? It could be five years. But the reality is we're not called to worry about that. We're called to follow Christ and to lead others toward Christ. And I actually think you can't, for me, understanding evil and really getting a chance to isolate it in scripture and look at it and then write about it and playing with fire and, and just navigate that. I had never done that before. It pointed me back to my need for grace, back to our need for good. And so I think a lot of times when we talk about evil and we talk about Satan, we sort of stop short of doing the work we need to do, which is to say, wow, this shows me why I need Jesus. And that's what this conversation to me is all about, is that it points us back to the truth. When you see the depravity and the evil and the chaos and what that looks like, how it impacts people's lives, what do I have to do to avoid that? And and that means follow Christ. That's what you have to do to avoid that and be an authentic Christian. Amen. Amen. Okay. So as we wrap up, where do they go to get the book and where do they go to get more information about you and about this uh, broad topic, really? So you can go to playingwithfirebook.com and billyhollowell.com. And I'm on all the social the social channels. If you like going to Amazon, I know not everybody's a fan of Amazon these days. You can get the book there, but playingwithfirebook.com. I mean, I know this, but who are you a writer for so that people know where they can go and see your articles? Sure. So I write for a variety of outlets. I actually write for PureFlix. So if you go to insider.pureflix.com, I do daily content there. Uh, I write for the Christian Post as well and uh, a variety of a variety of other outlets. But those are the two that you can find me most frequently daily over at insider.pureflix.com. Uh, hey, Billy, and briefly, tell people what PureFlix is because a lot of people may not know. Yeah, so a lot of people know PureFlix for God's Not Dead and the films that have come out into theaters, um, but PureFlix.com is a streaming service, and it's kind of, it's basically the Netflix for Christians. It's faith and family-friendly content and 
a lot, I mean, a lot of content, movies, TV shows, original series, documentaries. And yeah, for me, we like in my house, I got a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. So they're watching pure flicks endlessly because, you know, we've got all the kids shows on there. Um, There's dramas for adults, action movies. I mean, there's a ton, there's just a ton of content. And I've been there for about three years. And so I run, I run our blog over there and host our podcast, but I'd encourage people to check it out. It's pureflix.com. You can get a free week, which is nice. See if you like the content. But if you're looking to protect your family, I mean, that's at the end of the day, I'm big on like whatever my kids are watching, I know, I know what it is, right? Um, and on pureflix, you don't really have to worry about that, which is a nice thing. You know, you've got faith and family friendly content there. So you don't have any Game of Thrones shows on your on pureflix? No, no. There are some great, <laughs> there are some great action shows though which is good because i know a lot of times you you think about hallmark and stuff you kind of have that certain type of content that a lot of guys are not looking to to watch maybe and there's options really documentaries actually a lot of i put together a blog post it was you know the the 15 you know christian documentaries to check out and just really interesting content I'm, i'm into that kind of stuff so yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot over there. Give us a couple right now. Give us a couple. I'm putting you on the spot here. Um, I hate it when people do that to me because then you're like, oh, shoot, <laughs> I can't remember. But a couple of documentaries, a couple of shows or movies. Like if you were sitting down with your wife looking to have a, you know, and this is a nice night where you don't have to worry about hearing F words. A couple of movies, a couple of documentaries that you really like that you'd recommend. So there's one on Perpetua. And I had I didn't know anything about this woman, Perpetua. She was in the early church. She became a Christian, and I don't want to spoil the whole story, but had to give up everything, and she ended up being killed for her faith. But it's her story, and she kept a journal, which is amazing. And this is like the year – I think it was like 250 AD or something, but she kept a journal, and her journal is out there. You can read it, but there's a couple of documentaries about her that I think are fascinating and worth Mm. watching. Uh, There's a movie – for the women and the men out there, but the women, it's called Sweet Inspirations. It's a great movie about just loving others and this group of women that they, it's funny, it's funny, it's dramatic. There's a lot of great elements to it. Um, there's a TV series called The Encounter. And The Encounter is a great, it's a great show. It's an original Pure Flix show. It's about this guy, he's known as The Man. He's basically Jesus <laughs> in the modern era. If Jesus was showing up in people's lives in the modern era, and there were a couple of movies, by the way, so the series is based on the movies, what would that look like? And so, and then there's The Chosen, which The Chosen is a big one right now. That's on Pure Flix. Um, and it's, it tells the story, tells the gospels through the eyes of the other people who were there, right? So it's not all fixated on Jesus. You see it through the other characters' eyes, and it's a it's a powerful show. So yeah, there's a, there's a couple. See, I could do it. You didn't man, put you me did on the spot you, that you, much. You pulled it out, man. You're like a true journalist. <laughs> well, thanks, brother, man. This is uh this is really good stuff. I hope people got a lot out of it. And just as a reminder, this stuff's all interesting. The bottom line is, um, if you believe and put your faith in Christ, you will be forgiven, no matter how bad your sins are. Um, if you repent of your sins, you will be saved. And, um, Jesus says, if you don't believe, then you're condemned already. And so let's make sure we're on the right side of eternity. And, um, if you need more information about how to be saved, how to be filled with the Holy spirit, go to promisekeepers.org. Um, and if you want more stuff about pure flicks and about demons and ghosts and all the rest, um, go check out Billy Hollowell. Hey, spell your last name, Billy, for everybody right now, just in case. The irony, the irony of my last name is it's it's similar to Halloween. So it's H-A-L-L-O-W-E-L-L. 
So it's just a few letters off, uh, which people love to point out uh, with this book coming out. So I, I consider that the celebration of when Luther pounded the 95 Thesis on the wall, right? Same date. Thanks, brother. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to On the Edge podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.